Hello everyone, welcome back to the left page. I am Frank, your always online historian, writer, researcher, podcaster extraordinaire. <laughs> I hope. So, first things first, this is going to be a slightly shorter episode, mostly because I'm going to be doing it myself, and it also works as a mic check, uh, because I have a new mic, and we'll see how it goes. Hopefully it works well. The next episode that should be released will have been with my old mic, but there are reasons for that. This one hadn't arrived and whatnot. And it's not the greatest mic, but it's good and should work well. So, what I want to talk about in this slightly shorter episode, more succinct and just me lounging around, I want to talk a bit about something that I, I've talked about quite a bit in other episodes piecemeal both in regards to, well, about sci-fi, sci-fi publishing, and, well, dystopias and utopias, which are of great concern to me and all I've been doing and working on. So, where do I want to start? Sci-fi publishing and sci-fi publishing, especially in Brazil, in regards and in comparison to, like, uh, an English-speaking market, it's much different, uh, again, it's, it's much more restricted. And why do I want to talk about this? Because, well, it's, uh, it's something of great concern to me, especially in terms of, like, diversity, in terms of publication, in terms of, like, giving interesting material to readers and making these materials available. So there's a lot that's being written recently or in recent years in terms of, like, content, in terms of ideas, in terms of diversity queer and diverse authors, there's a lot of great stuff, but, you know, especially in regards to, like, a lot of this stuff is published in English. I myself write most more in English than in Portuguese because, well, there's a larger market for, English, for the English language, and that market exists in Portuguese in Brazil, but the publishing is... It's much more difficult, it's a much narrower market. I, It's somewhat disheartening, but I prefer my odds in an English-speaking market in terms of opportunities and possibilities. So, what I, what I want to drive at first about these particularities and about this criticism, because it's a point like, I know I'm speaking to a very particular audience and I probably don't need to explain a lot of this, but it's, it's one way that I... I both consider this argument and have sort of uh, rebuilt it piecemeal or understood it myself in, in a way to explain to others as well. But like the distinction between what is what is to be read and what is to be published, because obviously I say for very few examples of stuff that's absolute shite. Uh, I'm not going to say it's like, oh, don't read this, oh, you shouldn't read this, no one should read this. That stuff exists, obviously, like stuff by the far right and just Nazi fascist shit to a certain degree. Of course, again, why, why that's difficult, because like, you can always study, you can always analyze that, but good God, that's that's the worst of the worst. Uh, but I'm never going to, you know, never going to say it's like, oh, don't read it. Regardless of my recommendations or not, I'm like never gonna like admonish stuff that you shouldn't ever read, save for obvious, simple, not particularly polemical examples. But the distinction is well, quite clearly and quite simply, rather, 
on what should be published because then we're talking about a market then we're talking about availability and making things accessible both in terms of supporting those authors but in terms of like you know i read speak and write in english not everyone does and not everyone should have to in order to consume certain content i would wish that certain things that i've been reading and, and things that i've come into contact in english were available in portuguese like both in terms of like sci-fi uh, gothic horror or just horror lots of cool stuff but that isn't available here or isn't published here so for example like um and this one is particularly notorious so it might even be but like with all that there's still a chance that it might not uh just because the way these things are but like a Lazoe by Darcy Little Badger which is a brilliant book so fucking good and it's getting nominee nominations for like all the sci-fi awards which is amazing the book deserves it without a shadow of a doubt but like with all this prestige with all of this I am doubtful whether it'll reach this market here or not you know on the other hand I read like headlines that are very much like oh um uh brazilian publishers betting on new sci-fi authors and you go read the headlines and so or you go read the actual uh <laughs> report and whatnot and it's like oh more asimov more bradbury more arthur c clark and philip k dick some octavia butler which i mean more interesting <laughs> in terms of like getting diverse things but you know it's more the same and what's new oh the, um, another white author who's already been published by them some more books <laughs> look this is not new is it this isn't new <laughs> you're having a laugh right you're joking and yet the headline's deadly serious it's a joke right it's gotta be a joke of course it's not i mean i'm not i'm never gonna say like oh don't read these authors but like these authors have been consistently published for decades, and yet, why aren't you publishing, like, newer or older stuff or more interesting stuff? Like, for example, the publisher I'm thinking of has published or republished Ursula Gwynn's The Dispossessed and uh, The Left Hand of Darkness. I've mentioned this before a couple of, in, different few, in a few different places. But, <laughs> what is the thing they do a lot more marketing for the dystopias and these other old sci-fi authors than the i mean Le Guin is not new but she gets a lot less marketing than these other authors and she's just as important if not more does even more interesting stuff and i mean they they're the ones publishing her shouldn't it be in their best interest to market her just as much Yes, I have great feelings and angers over this because, fuck, you know, like, here's an author who has been published in Brazil for decades, literally, very few people talk about or take notice, and you're, it's in your best interest to publish and market them, and yet you barely do that, or do that with s such a different level. Like, are you even trying? <laughs> And no, instead you just publish the same old Asimov, the same old Philip K. Dick, the same Michael Crichton, and other stuff. And like, you know, <laughs> you're literally 
not doing what you should be doing with what you have. It's shameful, really. It's infuriating. It's infuriating. Because, like, I'm, of course I'm not going to tell you, it's like, oh, don't read them. But, like, there's different, more interesting, or just as interesting, or I think personally more interesting, more new, but also old stuff, uh, like Le Guin, that they don't publish. And how can fucking new, any newspaper, like, go, oh, they're publishing new stuff. No, they're fucking not. Do some work. Do some realization and compare this to an actual larger market that's doing this. Not that, like, <laughs> the English-speaking market in general, or at least publishing-wise, is any sort of reference for diversity, inclusion, publishing more interesting stories. No, they're not. We we know this. This is clear. Like, there's a lot of different book Twitter struggles can reveal that. Uh, <laughs> or just examples of people being awful and the publishing's like, yeah, no, this is great. It's like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> my point, quite simply, is that, <laughs> of course, you can read anything. Of course, you can go after these authors and these works and, like, they're important for good reasons, fortunately. Um, not all of their work, like, I don't see why you would publish... Philip K. Dick's first novel and not, or first longer novella or whatever, uh, and not publish more Le Guin or more Octavia Butler or I, I don't know, a number of newer authors who do a lot more interesting stuff. Like, what was one that I found out the other day that they don't really market because they're a horror publisher and more in this sort of thing, like true crime, uh, gruesome shit, that kind of thing, and thrillers. But they also publish, like... Oh, by author Becky Chambers. So, <laughs> you have publishers publishing this stuff in Brazil, being translated, and they're selling it, so it would be in their best interest to market them, sell them. I mean, I follow the this publisher's newsletter. They did, I've never seen them mention it, and it's in their catalogue, and yet, bleh. I mean, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know? It's, I mean, obviously, it's its not really that surprising. These things exist with a history, with historical, sociopolitical reasons, which, simply put, are, well, a sexist, heteronormative, patriarchal society. And these, va these values are like Eurocentric and whiteness, are imperatives. They dominate and they continue to replicate themselves. And the idea, like, oh, this is what sells, this is what, oh. And it's like, there's people are not just this, you know? So, like, the market exists and they are selling some of those books, but they're not even doing the work. It's like they're working against themselves. <laughs> and far be it from me from, to defend any of these publishers. I have beef with one of them in particular. But, you know, it's... It's just the way that these values that regulate and dominate our society are still at such an imperative that they contradict themselves or contradict certain values of even capitalism in their operation because of their existence as imperatives. So whiteness and heteronormativity are more powerful than even profit, if you'd like go or in a clear direction of 
what would be the most ideal under this spectrum, which is not positive, but, you know. Uh, but, like, rainbow capitalism is a thing, but, like, even... You're not even doing that. Which I think is a pretty great testament of, like, both a narrow-mindedness of what sci-fi can be, that, like, oh, it's these authors, and I'm like, fuck off. Fuck off. And that, like, oh, this is what sells, this is what is important, and, like, you're literally selling other stuff, but you're, yeah, you're sabotaging yourself, or you're just mishandling and not even being worthy of, you know, publishing them. Although it's good that you publish them, because, you know, ev everyone should read them. Mike Leguin. Even with, you know, issues of their own and whatnot. Like, it's not perfect, nothing's gonna be, but uh, it's more interesting than, like, oh, white men writing about the end of the world. Uh, uh, I've had enough. Which brings me to my second point for the day, in a lovely segue. <sighs> Dystopias. Fuck, I've had enough of Dystopias. Every, <laughs> I mean, pretty much every week I ran about them, because, again, connected to that first point, and that's why this is a whole topic that I kind of segmented into two, but which I feel works, because what what is the point, what am I trying, what am I trying to talk about? Dystopias are still a fucking boom in a wide variety of genres in a wide variety of markets in brazil in the english language everywhere every fucking where all right and i will get onto some other reasons why i like i hate this but so let, let's let, let me give an example like I, again i'm talking about the publishing market and sci-fi publishing all right so you, everyone is, or a variety of different publishers in Brazil are reselling and making new editions of Orwell's fucking 1984. Again, for that, uh, for the purposes of this example, that same publisher who publishes Le Guin. So, I would have like, I don't know, 10 posts that they do in like a week. It's just more than that, naturally, but like, select 10 posts. 7 or 8 will be about some dystopia or something dystopic or something like that. And pretty much 9 out of 10, if not 10, on most weeks, uh, are going to be about, like, these white men and their works. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, quite telling. It's not really, they're not hiding it. I mean, they even, they should. They should. Uh, and they do, like, that, and that's the point, like, they're publishing other stuff, but what they feel is important to be marketed is both this stuff, which is fucking popular already and already sells mostly, I mean, I, I, I'd imagine they market it for a reason, and not, I don't know, the different, more interesting stuff that you sell, what would be, again, in inverted commas, but kind of new, would be kind of different. Not to mention new stuff, which... <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, uh. So, for example, I read some time ago the first book in the Machineries of Empire trilogy by Yun Ha Lee. Um... Nine Fox Gambit, and it's such a great book, and it's so interesting, and incredible sci-fi, but, um, is there getting attention? Nah, not here, not in this market, and yet it would, clearly. <laughs> I mean, if you're publishing, like, hard sci-fi kind of thing, then you could publish this more interesting, newer stuff by other authors, uh, but no, 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 Your, the conception of new is very limited and very simplistic. In the worst ways possible, of course. It's very frustrating, because... 
and I will bring it back to the dystopias, of course. But this material exists. You don't need to look too far to find it. You don't need to, like, oh, what is... Oh, no, those books. Like, they're there, they're popular, they've won awards, but they don't get here because this market's shit. <laughs> or at the very least, it's very much set in very particular conservative, very narrow, and very shit basis of what sci-fi is and can be. And, like, yeah, they publish Le Guin, but they've barely done that. They've barely done the marketing for it. And that's the point I'm, where I'm doubling back on the dystopias. Dystopias, for whatever reason, I mean, again, they are popular, they sell, and there's apparently tell a lot about our current condition. Boo-hoo. Um, and in a way, yeah, they kind of do. Uh, if, at this point, kind of treading on the same ground uh, and not doing too much, that's new because it's been done to death and continues to. Of course, you, of course you can do interesting stuff with that. Of course, it's not automatically going to be bad. But there's other stuff that you can do with End of the World or, you know, sci-fi or future societies that isn't just, oh, doom and gloom dystopias. Yeah. <laughs> I have my beast with them. Uh... And I think you can do interesting work when you subvert them and, like, bring them down. But that's hard to do. Because, well, what you can do is either do something which is, like, blatantly, oh, okay, then, works for fiction, or it's interesting for fiction. But then you completely, like, if you carry this idea of the dystopia as the future representation whatnot, you either end in the doom and gloom, or, at least in most cases, or you end up with an unrealistic, not particularly... Uh, okay, glad it works for fiction. Mm. Or you really don't do much in terms of like present day analysis and allegory, which is a lot of what it sells on, or a lot of what it's sort of foundation and basis. At least a lot of the time. Of course there are exceptions to everything I'm saying. But in general, like, this is the case. So, the point, like, there's other stuff. Even like cyberpunk. Uh, which is, oh, the future machinery, the corporations are ruling, blah, blah, blah. But there's stuff like solar punk or, or hope punk, which are both like in terms of hope or like, oh, uh, renewable energies or other different types of technologies or something else because, you know, fiction, fiction. It's so simplistic and so fucking awful that it's been so narrowed and in marketing continuously reinforces that, reinforces that in a vicious cycle of like, oh, dystopias, oh, and dystopias and it sells and it's reality and it's dystopias. I mean, I've said this multiple times. I'm a Marxist. I am the process of historical materialism and looking at material conditions is crucial to me. But I'm also an artist. I am a writer and I'm also like <laughs> I'm kind of an idealist and a dreamer. Which is kind of silly to say, but kind of true. And a big point of that, and I think as materialists as well, like we need to know why we're doing what we're doing, why we believe, why we struggle, why we analyze, why we critique, why we build, why do we stand in opposition? What is the positive that we are trying to create? It's important to imagine that. And I've mentioned this before on multiple occasions. Little Red Schoolhouse dreaming of a better world or, or I, I always confuse that name but it's an exercise a really important one of imagining a better world and we need to imagine it 
not on, on a vague utopian sense that like oh what could it we do what could it be it's like on in terms of like this is why we do what we do sort of a reasoning principle to it because that's important because well when everything is doom and gloom and everything feels hopeful like well we the can kill over but if we're not killing over then why not what is driving us forward and i it may be simplistic of me to say but it is also in great account because of this intensity because of this belief this this understanding that capitalism is a finite historical system that it will not last forever that it cannot last forever there is more to it that we can imagine beyond, that can do more with it, that we can break it apart and fucking get through it. Because if we can't, then then are we really doing all we're doing from all different senses and, and ranges, just <laughs> trying to keep a hold on situations that will perpetually be awful or may get it even worse and worse and worse for no ultimate solution and I refuse to accept that refuse to believe that that this is all there is regardless of it happening in my lifetime or not I will never stop believing that a better world is possible I will never stop doing everything I do in whatever ways and shapes and places and aspects in the hope, in the strength, in the struggle for that better world, be those actions large or small, because there can be, and I believe fiction to be an important aspect of it, beyond just fantasy, beyond just uh, like the realist novel and like the the contemporary stuff, science fiction is such a beautiful and powerful force for that. I mean, Star Trek, for Christ's sakes. What is it and what has it done for that possibility? And of course, plenty of limitations, both of its time and what it's imagining, uh, like the colonialist aspect, which is not really resolved at all, but much less in the new, in the Picard, I think. Uh, but I've talked about that before. On the quarantine logs a year ago or so. <laughs> uh, year two of quarantine. God give me strength. <sighs> the point I'm trying to make is that it is important to imagine beyond these limitations, beyond capitalism, or through capitalism, through everything, through the shit, through the horror, to visualize or to picture, to imagine, to draw a light or lights at the end of this tunnel, which aren't perfect. Uh, one of the things that I really like about the Dispossessed by Le Guin is how it, it is an endless utopia. It's really interesting, it's really curious, but it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It is ambiguous. And that's really cool. That's really fucking cool. Uh, <laughs> because, in a way, it shows a much interesting, much better world, and it also shows its problems. But it's clearly better, at least I think so, <laughs> even with its problems. But it's not idyllic, it's not perfect, while it is perhaps utopian. And in that sense, that type of fiction, that type of possibility, 
can be inspiring, can be important, can be necessary even. For this effort of imagination, of creation, of possibility, and to tie it all up together, like, one of the historical sources that I've been using for some of my research, if only for a larger understanding of the of this question of hope and utopianism and understanding this history, especially in the uh, in the late twentieth century and how this changed with Le Guin and others, although she was ended up being the most popular one of them all, is that it's not a blueprint. It's not trying to be this perfect society, but it's trying to envisage envisage something else, and in it, I think it does great work and that is important it is really crucial to imagine something beyond and i say this because one of the authors i'm using reinhard kasselik where he develops his particular historical research with the idea of the space of experience and the horizon of expectations and what do those means the space of experience is like the sort of the lived experience, both collectively, uh, imagine history wise and whatnot. Uh, that's fairly simple, like what exists as a, as concepts, as narrative, as knowledge, those types of things in a particular historical period. Uh, he works with a particular time, but it, it, it exists, serves for the present as well. Uh, those concepts of his are very useful, even beyond his work. And the other one, the horizon of expectations or the horizon of possibility, it... Well, <laughs> it's talking about what can we imagine beyond a particular current historical situation. So, one example I can find reinforced by dystopias and that marketing and that publishing and even that writing, if I may be so bold, is this idea that all that awaits us is dystopianism or a post-apocalyptic reality. And... Again, it may be naive, it may be idealistic of me to assume otherwise, but I refuse to accept that. And one of the ways which I find the, or like to put it in these dramatic terms, but it, it is what it is, our historical struggle against capitalism is to imagine things beyond it, is to envisage and build apparatuses and structures and ideas and works and imaginations that push beyond this, these limits, that, that challenge this horizon of expectations that n all that awaits us is doom. But that indeed, like, no, that a better world is possible, and a better world can be achieved. I can think of nothing more important than focusing on that. And again, like, I'm, I'm also not, never going to say that, like, oh, don't write this, but, like, in one way, I... I do think these sort of considerations are important regarding on what you're trying to do, and perhaps your exploration of dystopias will completely oppose all I'm trying to say, uh, and will like sh show me up like, oh, right, yeah, gotcha. But when I see, and I think it, it's perhaps these two elements that I've been talking about in conjunction, when we have these other 20th century works like Fahrenheit 451, Brave New World, 1984, uh, as like, oh, this is dystopianism, this is science fiction, this, or worse yet, oh, this is our reality. Well, it's the replication of these ideas, these things continue and and continue and continue, both in terms of what these, of what writing and imaginative writing can be in terms of the future and imagining different societies, both in decay or 
in a different situation along with like oh this is what our reality has in store for us and elements true it did but not because of any prediction or whatnot but because of an analysis of things that are happening and a utopian writing which is being done in places like hope punk or solo punk or even has been again my point has been done or is continually being done since the 60s and so on uh, even if it doesn't fit into a larger narrative of sci-fi and dystopianism etc challenges those notions and brings ideas that like oh now this is interesting or this is curious this is worth taking into consideration or this is important or this is to be preserved this not or oh and i seem to find those a lot more useful than just oh dystopianism a representation and an examination of present conditions is that it and can that can be important of course but when that is plagued by 1984 and the like those can be so limiting to what writing or sci-fi or all of that can be even if not all right needs to be to challenge or rethink or whatever there's the difference there and that's why that's the point of like the writing and the marketing because that is marketed in a very particular way and that's being sold in that very particular way as oh this prediction as this future as this etc 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 when one it's not uh, two there's other stuff more interesting out there but it it really limits what can be and what can be that imagination so like I am aware that dystopian writing can do more, but I reject it so intensely like I've been doing for the past half an hour because, well, it is continuously replicated in negative and harmful ways, I find. And that's not good. That's not positive. That's not helpful for anyone or anything or in any way. (laughs) My point, ultimately, is that there can be a lot more to do, to write, to consider, to analyze in terms of sci-fi, in terms of publishing, in terms of writing. And in publishing, like it, it goes without saying, but this is both a window into publishing sci-fi like this in Brazil, and in general of like how limiting it can be, or how limited it is, rather. So I rambled a lot, even if I had a, a good time doing this, it fairly impromptu. It's been important in the sense of coalescing a lot of different reflections that I've been having on publishing sci-fi or publishing in Brazil uh, in comparison to like what is out there, at least in, just just in English, not to mention other markets, uh, which I'm sure can be just as interesting. Like the Brazilian market is other stuff uh, internally as well, and so on, along with this larger consideration of dystopias, utopias, and fucking 1984, which has been plaguing me uh, for a while now. And like, yeah, the book can be interesting at times, you know, but, you know, when uh, when your book is used as a CIA psyop, you... A lot needs to be unpacked there, don't you think? Or at least that's what I think. <laughs> so, yeah, go read another book beyond 1984. More interesting explorations. And even in dystopias, like, Pierce Brown's Red Rising does some interesting stuff, which I'm sure will be fairly... I mean, I need to reread it, and I've been meaning to, but um, certain limitations or aspects, and especially like the second trilogy kind of thing, which I think isn't finished yet. But the 
yeah, the the ending of the first one has things I'm mm, questionable. I mean, not questionable in general, but like curious in terms of where the world is going and what it is being written there. But that's a subject for a book I might write eventually, so I won't say more now. My ultimate point is when we're talking about what a particular, and I'm, again, I'm narrowing on sci-fi, but this I can imagine this goes much beyond this, further beyond this, of what a genre can be, what its possibilities, and especially when we're talking about these things like dystopianism and the element of hope, or the lack of, or the lack thereof, what these ideas can be, both in terms of fiction or in the present day, because they're connected with interpretations. It brings to me a lot the question of like, what can writing be? What can publishing be? And what can these ideas and these genres do? And the answer I can come up with is both, it can do a lot more than any publishing market is going to say, or is going to mandate them to do of, of what is acceptable and what isn't, but also that these genres can do a lot more than at times we think they can. I mean, reading The Dispossessed was eye-opening because it showed me that, like, oh, there can be other sci-fi writing that imagines a future society that isn't the pure doom and gloom. And that was amazing. That was genuinely amazing. And the book has issues and limitations, a subject for... We've, I mean, I've talked about this before, but a subject for another day as well. Books can do that. Stories can do that. Ideas can do that. If limited in scope, and again, it's particular, it's not all, but if we think about an advancement, a struggle in every single front of thinking about these questions in every single aspect, then questioning the publishing and the writing like this, it's also important to question like this paradigm of dystopias, which, again, there's good stuff, but it's a paradigm. It's a paradigm that the only way to imagine a future society is, or the main or the most acceptable or like the most prestigious one is via the dystopia which is wrong and is shit it's not the only one far from it as so many different and great and authors have shown so yeah i guess i will leave you all with that idea of like yeah literature can do a lot even if limited but it's important to both take it seriously and to push it further. And of course, this is a particular reflection in a particular time and in a particular situation of like what has been important in terms of literature, in terms of writing, in terms of hope. But I think it's more wide-ranging because of what it shows that like, oh, so it can do a lot more. So it can do a lot. And that's important. We, if we're questioning capitalism as the only alternative, then imagination, the the struggle for our minds, is important as well. It's a more limited struggle, and it's not the main piece, place of struggle, absolutely not. It's ground that cannot be uh, given up. And I think that is really important, in terms of writing, in terms of reading, in terms of critiquing, in terms of publishing. And yeah, with that question, I will I will leave you to it. So thank you so much for listening. Do let me know if you if this mic's better. I think it's better. Uh, I will know in the editing, and I did some tests, and it probably is. But do let me know, both in audio and in general. I hope this has been useful somewhat, as both a place for like a lot of the reflections I've been having, but also like some of these broader connections. 
which I think are important. I really do. Or at least are important and special to me. So thank you so so much for listening, everyone. If you can, do check us out our Patreon, where we have a lot of interesting stuff on, like, I've been writing a couple of pieces on different aspects, both of, like, historical research and other books that don't necessarily make it into an episode or don't make it into an episode yet. But also do check out, like, the Poetry Club, which has been something I've still been doing with Bruno, and just getting a poem every month and just, like, going on a weird, interesting conversation about them. And that's cool. That's fun. And we get some peculiar stuff and do some, I can't say kind of original readings, pretty much. And just have some fun. That's good. That's good. But yeah, do let me know what you think about some of these questions, about the audio. And if you can, please support us. If you can't, I, I, can, I more than understand. But if you can, it's always greatly appreciated and means the world to me. And you can check that out on patreon.com forward slash left page. And I'm on Twitter as well, at leftpagepod and at frankgothic, where I've been posting some of the stuff that I've been writing as well in terms of fiction. And yeah, just, it's been an interesting conversation with myself. <laughs> I do hope you find it interesting as well. I, I do like these solo episodes, they're fun uh, in their particular way, and interesting points of discussion as well. And on our next episode release, there's some really cool stuff coming. Some really weird stuff too, but yeah, no, you, you can look forward to some pretty great collabs in the near future, without a shadow of a doubt. So thanks everyone, thank you so much for listening, and till the next one.